Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Hey friends, Sean McDowell filling in today for the one and only Dr. Frank Turek. We're here on I Don't Have Enough Faith podcast and radio. And my guest today is someone, if you are not familiar with him, you've got to get familiar with him right away. We're going to talk about doubt, deconstruction, and even more importantly, how to have meaningful spiritual conversations with people who see the world differently. Preston Ulmer has started what's called Doubters Clubs, and he has a fascinating new book. I'm going to hold it up here if you can see the video. It's called The Doubters Club, and it's basically a roadmap for how Christians can have meaningful spiritual conversations and friendships with non-believers. We're going to get into that over this entire show, but first off, Preston, thanks so much for joining me on Cross-Examined Radio and Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Absolutely. Well, before we get into some of the specifics about how to lead these doubters clubs, I would love to have just our viewers first hear your own personal story to faith. Yeah. Well, it is a, just like all of our stories, it's a unique journey. Um, I went to Bible college really with a, uh, not a whole lot of understanding of the Bible. I, you know, I would know the verses, John three sixteen, all those sort of things. I knew the Old Testament, New <laughs> Testament, okay? And I could tell you to stay away from Revelation. Uh, it's just a scary book. I mean, those are the things I knew. Then I would go to Bible college, and I had a lot of questions. In fact, I, I even put it in the book, Sean, but I remember where I was sitting. I know this is unique. I remember where I was sitting on an airplane when I started having these, like, pestering questions about wow. faith. Like, does God exist? And I was actually just flying back from Arkansas, preaching at a youth event. And I'm having these questions. And, and I know you're thinking, why were you preaching and you didn't really know the Bible that well? That's a great question, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm flying back, and, and then it just snowballed. And mm. I, I went and I asked some pastors, well-meaning people that summer, what should I do? And they just gave me really bad advice. They were, you know, sleep on the Bible, and they were uh, just listen to more worship music. I like okay, listening to okay, rap. Okay, hang, hang on. I've, I've got yeah. to cut you off. You literally were given the advice to physically sleep on the Bible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, now, to take it even further, the person who gave me that advice made shirts with Bible references all over them. And so okay. to clothe yourself in the Word of God, okay? so. Wow. It sounds sweet when your grandma tells you to do that, but when you're in a crisis of faith, it's just useless. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was the advice I got. So then, um, you know, I go back to Bible college because I just needed to get my associate's degree. I thought at this point, I just need to get a degree. I don't want to waste the money. And I, I, this, during this time, I just was, I was convinced God didn't exist. I didn't believe wow. in this stuff. And, um, and I talked to a few trusted people about it, but even my personality would not be to go tell everyone, but I just thought, you know, keep your head down and, and just get a degree. And there was a professor of apologetics and philosophy 
who came to me and he was talking to me about how my summer was. I told him it's terrible. <laughs> you know, I even saw a doctor, Sean, <laughs> sure. cause I, I told Did the doctor. Really? Yeah. I, because you know, sometimes, sometimes your doubts can spiral into depression if you're not careful. Mm. Um, and if you don't have people walk alongside you, and I told the doctor, find something <laughs> like find, find something so you can give me a pill. Um, so I tell this to the professor and he tells me this, he says, Hey, um, can I walk with you through your questions? Wow. And I said, uh, sure. And he said, I don't care where you land as long as you're honest. I'll never forget that phrase. Wow. I don't care where you land as long as you're honest. He, he believed a few things. He believed I had integrity, right? In my, in my pursuit of truth, he believed that I actually wanted to figure things out. And he wasn't trying to make me think like him. And here's the other thing. He actually believed that God is truth. So the closer I would get to truth, the closer I would get to God. This was something he was convinced of. So then you go, we went on this journey for about, I don't know, six to eight months. And then I, that's when I'd say, okay, I'm actually convinced. And to this day, it's the reason I'm a Christian. I'm actually convinced a man named Jesus rose from the dead. And I know, I know for us now and, and for the listeners to this, that seems so elementary. Um, sure. It was not. That was revolutionary. I had not even known that a historical account of the resurrection of Jesus was something that I could look into. Um, yeah. Preston, you know, I went through a similar period of doubt in uh, at Bible college, interestingly enough. Yeah. And part of one of the ways my dad responded is to say, son, only reject this if you think it's not true. And there was uh, kind of this confidence wow. in his response. I love you no matter what. And yeah. above all else, be committed to truth. And I think you'll land on Christianity if you seek truth because Christianity is true. But I love you no matter what was his response. And it was just, it right. was exactly what I needed to hear. Now for you, you kind of skipped over that six to eight months. What happened in that season? <laughs> Were you meeting with him? Were you reading books? Walk us through that process. Yeah. Well, what happened actually set the trajectory for how we do doubters clubs set the trajectory for how I raised my kids. Um, I mean, it, it, it was pivotal. What he did, well, let me say what he didn't do, okay? Because I do get a good, lot of requests good. sometimes from people that, <laughs> and I just got a text from someone um, who said, hey, what's a discipleship curriculum I can give to someone with doubts? And, mm. and you know, you always, you appreciate the heart behind that, but you're like, this is what discipleship is. It's highly relational. So he mm. didn't give me curriculum. He said, I want you to come to my office once a week. I want you to ask the question that's on your mind. Okay. Nothing's off limits. And, and, you know, at a Christian Bible college, he even told me, he said, and you're not going to get kicked out for asking whatever question you need to ask. Great. And so I'd come to his office and I would say, here's what I'm wondering. And then he would ask a few more questions to figure out why did I pick that question out of all questions to ask. Mm. And then he would say, here's what I, um, here's what I've found to be true on this. And he talked to me about it and he'd say, how's that resonate with you? I mean, he's, he's always trying to see, is this landing with me? Why or why not? So Sean, on some of the questions, it was like, I remember going to him being like, I don't understand why, when I pray to, if God, if God's the God of joy and love, if I'm depressed and I'm trying to pray to him, I mean, I, I didn't believe it God at this time, but I'm like, if he's there and I'm trying to pray to him, why doesn't he just lift my depression? You know, a lot of these kind of questions that, Josh, you'll tackle on your Instagram account, you know, 
just these questions that just seem to nag us. And you'd answer that, or I would do this, like, hey, my um, who's now my wife, I'd say, we're having trouble in our relationship. And honestly, I don't want anything to do with Christians. And wow. he'd be like, okay, well, let's talk about that. And that was eight months, eight <sighs> months of one-on-ones. Now, he ended up doing our wedding. We just talked a few weeks ago. Oh, I mean, that's he, you know, Yeah, so he, he sacrificed his time. Um, and he's very knowledgeable. So he did have books ready. Yeah. No, no, he did have books ready and all those things. So it was a combination of he was gracious and he knew his stuff. It was both. We've probably got about 45 seconds. Looking back, how many of your questions were intellectual versus emotional Mm. and relational? Um, great question. I would say my intellectual questions were based off of what I was experiencing. Okay. That that's kind of, so experience for me was the base. My story was the basis, right? So now I'm looking in the rearview mirror and going, this is crazy. (laughs) So then that's, that was the launching pad for my intellectual questions. My relational questions came later, Sean, when I knew I could trust my mentor. I wasn't going to show those cards early on. That's really, really interesting. As I look back on my doubting period, there were some emotional hurts, feeling like God was distant, false expectations about God, mixed in with questions like, why is there evil? Are there contradictions in the Bible? So it's always a combination of the two. All right, we are here on a, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist Radio and Podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you can have practical tools to engage those around you in spiritual conversations. My guest, Preston Ulmer, author of The Doubters Club, will join us when we're right back. All right, friends, you are back on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast and radio. I am not Dr. Frank Turk. Sean McDowell here filling in for the one and only Dr. Turk. But we've got a special guest today. His name is Preston Ulmer, and he's written a fantastic book. I want you to pick up a copy, too. It's called The Doubters Club. And here's why we're doing this. I teach at Biola University, and we do a lot of apologetics training in content. Sometimes we don't always connect that content, and this is true for all of apologetics, to help people live it out in relationships with others. And Preston Ulmer, these clubs and this book you've written practically gives people the tools to do this. You came on my YouTube channel and just rocked it. So when I had a chance to host this, I thought I got to bring my buddy Preston on because I want all of Frank's audience and beyond to, uh, to hear what we have to say. So you've got these doubters clubs and we're going to walk into what they look like, the guidelines for them, how to have these spiritual conversations. But first, you have a section in your book on how Jesus approached doubters and seekers. Talk about that, if you will. Yeah, well, you know, in Jesus's day, if you're reading the Bible, you're not going to find atheists right? You're not going to find that term in the Bible. And so I think a lot of people go, well, it's just different now. And we've just progressed and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. What we find is the, Jesus had this incarnational apologetics to him. Okay. So we know John one, grace and truth, he comes in grace and truth. But we also find, we also find that that truth isn't just in what is said, it's very much in what is done and how people are treated. 
So a lot of the people who come to Jesus with objections actually come with religious objections, which we would say equal the story of someone. So even now, Josh, when people talk about the objections they have to faith, those are wrapped up in story, which is not bad. It's just how we are as humans. And and so Jesus handles those in a way that's going to be very, very much co- not just compassionate, but he's going to get to the root of the question. You have Thomas whenever he's engaging with Thomas. And, and, and here's what I'd say that's so fascinating about that. When, when we see Jesus is going after both the story and he's going after the, um, the ability to show himself who he is to a doubter, um, in the resurrected form, he still has scars, right? Mm. Like if I have a resurrected body, one of the first things I'm doing, I'm getting rid of my scars and my moles, okay? But Jesus has scars. He's, he's showing that, hey, here's the heart of God while you're looking at the doubts that you're dealing with, right? So what he tells Thomas is not just to show himself, look, I've raised myself from the dead. I strongly believe is to show this is the heart of God, is to be in relationship with you, not just intellectual assent. So, um, yeah, I do deal with it in the book, and uh, and we do find it to be different than being on a YouTube channel and talking to atheists and, and those sure. sort of things. However... I think that we find it all throughout the scriptures. We find it in the Old Testament, right? Whenever God renames Jacob into Israel, which is to strive with God, or some commentators say, which I think is a better, more accurate translation, a God wrestler. And then mm. God names a whole nation, the Israelites. These are the ones who wrestle with God. I mean, it, it, there is there is something about Sean, whenever, um, when you wrestle with God, you can't do it from far away. Mm-hmm. Like you have kids, I have kids. When my kids wrestle with me, they have to be close to me to do that. And, mm-hmm. and this seems to be a principle in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I find it to be incredibly encouraging <laughs> in my own walk with God. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of that in the book. I do have one more question for you for you before yeah. we jump into how exactly what these doubters clubs are. How painful is doubt for many people? Uh, um, well, I'll say this as I just by way of story, I was talking to a lady on Sunday. I was at church and um, she's walking in and, and she's talking to me about the book. And she said, you know, um, I'm I'm revisiting the way that I was taught of God growing up, you know, she's probably in her fifties or sixties now. And I said, that's good because if you have the same God you had when you were 10, that's a pretty small God, you know, if you haven't grown in your understanding (laughs) and, uh, and she starts crying, she's crying. I mean, we're at the Mm -hmm. entrance of walking into the auditorium and her husband's there with her. And, uh, and she literally said this, Sean, this just this last Sunday, she said, I, I honestly feel like, if I progress with God, I'm not talking progressive Christianity, just progressed in her relationship with God and how she views him. She said, I feel like I'm going to get struck by lightning. Oh my goodness. No, I would, I would say that's extreme, except it just happened a few days ago. Wow. Um, not the struck by lightning, but her feeling that way. So <laughs> okay, she, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it is, it is painful. It's mm. extremely painful. Um, I think the pain goes up depending on whether or not you have a community to help you through it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if you're doing this in isolation, it gets more and more painful 
because you just don't know where you're going or what you're doing. You've never worked those muscles before. And um, if you do it in community and you have people walk alongside you and they're encouraging you and they're embracing you, right? They're able to say, keep asking, keep going, those sort of things. I mean, you're, you're probably going to just sleep better at night. So I think the pain goes up depending on the level of isolation. Seems like there's almost three levels we could talk about with doubt. Those who doubt alone, bad idea, that's painful. Those who have a supportive community that minimizes but doesn't get rid of that pain. And then those who have a community who don't understand the doubt, who discourage and give the bad advice Mm -hmm. like you got, which was well intended, which exacerbates the pain. Yeah. That seems... That seems to me to be at the heart of why you're doing these doubters clubs. It's just ministering to people where they're at, building friendships with them, and you know, trying to help them along on their journey that all of us hope would end up with Jesus. So maybe this is a great time to shift into what is a doubters club? Tell us about it. Well, I, the, the doubters club is trying to get people to question faith, question certainty, but in community, okay? So a doubter's club, here's what it is. And then we talk about where it comes from or, or whatever. But yeah. what it is, is it's co-moderated by two people. You have a Christian and you have a non-Christian who actually have a friendship. And they're wanting to not just display their friendship, they're wanting this to become a movement in their community. So the yeah. doubter's clubs typically happen once a month. You know, these are not people employed by the church. These are firemen, these are going to be people that own companies, and and they will take the first 15 minutes and they'll go through the Doubters Club rules, okay? So they'll each co-moderator invites their group of friends. There's some advertisement, not a whole lot, but th- these groups are about 15 to 20 people. They never okay. take place. Yeah, they never take place in a church. Uh, we say that it is. this is for the people who um, are God-haters. Uh, there are people who are hurt by church. So, you know, they'll take place, coffee shops, microbreweries, just whatever's going to be a natural place for these two friends to hang out, right? So they have their friend group. The first 15, it is a very like structured meeting. Uh, The first 15 minutes, they go through the five ground rules. We value respect above being right. We listen without interrupting. We listen with an open mind. We understand and accept differences of opinion. And this is a safe space. Those are the five. So go ahead. Keep going. Oh, they go over those. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're just like cutting each other off here. Let's (laughs) let's come back to some of the particulars. I want to frame for people exactly what this involves and entails. So this is a movement in which you lead a doubters club and other people are leading these clubs around the country, maybe even around the world. Mm -hmm. Is that essentially what this is? Yeah. So these clubs... Are, they've spread around the world, and uh, we've launched over, I think it's over 83 clubs now um, in different parts of the world. And what they are are always two people on polar opposite sides um, of faith. And they're saying, we're going to, here's the vision we're going to model friendship and pursue truth with one another. That's the whole deal. And then after okay. they go over the rules, they talk together about what the group voted on the time before. Okay. Okay. So if you can picture an unsaved congregation picking the next sermon, it's kind of like that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So, so let's do this. Tell me the story 
of how you started this Doubters Club. Yeah, well, we were church planter. Well, we were going to uh, plant a church in Denver, Colorado. And I didn't know how to find the neighborhood other than to go there and try to pick out a neighborhood. So we, I went with a few friends. We go to this downtown neighborhood, and we knew we wanted it to be in the urban center of, of Denver. And we go to this downtown neighborhood. I walk in a coffee shop, Sean, and I just I, I asked a really dumb question to the coffee shop owner in downtown Denver. I said, hey, what kind of church do you go to? <laughs> right? And, um, and he just laughed. He said, I don't go to church. I'm an atheist. And I said, oh, I said, hey, I, I didn't used to believe all this either. Um, but if you did go to church, what kind would you go to? I mean, we jumped in the deep end in this conversation real fast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we went back and forth. And, and this is what he said. He said, I'd go to a place where we can ask questions and we're not judged for thinking differently. Wow. Yeah. So I'm walking out with my friends who are, you know, there to help me find a neighborhood to move our family into. And he says, what's your name? I said, Preston. He said, Preston, are you going to start a church in this neighborhood? And I said, I don't know. And he said, if it's that kind of church, I think that you should. Wow. So, you know, I, I don't know how you would say God speaks to you, but when an atheist coffee shop owner invites <laughs> us in, um, it was just, it was like, wow, this is kind of the convergence of my education and my experience in this moment. Mm. Uh, so then we moved there months later, and then you fast forward months after that. I've only I interacted with this coffee shop owner one time on Facebook, you know, kind of the nice to meet you kind of deal. Yeah. And, um, and then I walk in. And he sees me, he says, Preston? And I go, yeah. Wow. And uh, he said, did you move here based on what I said? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Which, you know, you're like, yes, you you and what we felt God told us. I didn't say that. I said kind of. I said kind sure, of. So he came sure. and sat down. And, uh, and and I just had this idea. that That morning, Sean, I had this idea of, what if we had something where he and I were modeling friendship and, and, and moving towards truth together, asking questions. That's amazing. And, and that's how I, I just said, would you start this with me? We wrote the, the rules down on a napkin, started it three months later. And that's the origin story. Well, that is perfect. When we get back after the break, we're going to talk about those rules. And I want to hear about that first meeting. You must have had some serious fears that this thing could go south and not oh, end yeah. up the way that it did. So Sean McDowell fill in today for the great Frank Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist radio and podcast. After the break, we'll be more with Preston Ulmer, author of The Doubters Club. We'll see you then. All right, you're back on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist radio uh, and podcast. Sean McDowell filling in for the one and only Dr. Frank Turk. We're talking with Preston Ulmer, who's written a fascinating book called The Doubters Club. And before the break, we started talking about how these clubs began. Now, in just a moment, we're going to shift and start talking about the very first meeting. I can only imagine, Preston, you were just worried about what was going to happen 
in this meeting. But first off, before we get to that, uh, one of the things I've done with Cross-Exam and with Frank is uh, multiple online classes, and they have a new class coming out by Elisa Childers on progressive Christianity. She has written a book on this, is one of the experts. It's a six-week course where she's got some great content that's there and also Zooming sessions together with those who sign up. All you got to do is go to crossexamine.org and click on the online courses to learn more and sign up. This is a class I am tempted to sign up myself and take because I get so many questions about progressive Christianity, and I know you do too as well, Preston. Well, let's jump back to your experience. You were talking about setting up these doubters clubs where you and uh, an atheist that you met in Denver uh, just decided to kind of get together and talk about things in friendship genuinely. It's not a church. Take me to that first meeting. I wonder if you told your wife, like, I might have done something that I'm going to regret. I don't know how this is going to happen. Tell us about that first meeting when you actually did it. Well, you know, when we had the idea together, I was like, this is going to be so fun. And then Mm. driving to that first meeting, you're like, what did I do? (laughs) I think I was on, for sure, my parents' prayer list. You know, Mm. everybody's like, what is Mm. going on? I walk in, and Sean, I could just tell you, it was like, it's like when you see the people there and you start engaging with them, you just start having fun. So yes, I was nervous and... um, but when I saw them and started interacting, now that first meeting was small, seven or eight people, okay? Okay. And I think I obviously I knew my friend who was co-moderating, and I knew one other person. But um, when you start interacting with them, and then we made circles with the chairs, you know, and we're sitting down. We didn't think that this was going to become a global movement. It was mm. just let's let's do this. Let's have um, let's build bridges where there's barriers type deal. And then we started talking. Well, of course, we didn't have a topic yet because usually, you know, it's the topic you vote on the time before, but there was no time before. So (laughs) we just asked and and we knew this um, previously. We just said, why do you think the way you think? Because, you know, sometimes atheists will say, I don't believe. So to say, why do you believe the way you believe would just be offensive for no reason to them. But we just said, "Why, why do you think the way you think? And it started opening up stories. And, mm. and I realized time flew by so fast afterwards, it was like, well, who wants to go grab something to eat after this? I mean, it was like, we immediately learned stories. Then the next, we started doing it every week after the first one. Oh, wow. We're like, wow. we're like, we let's do this again. And then it started to grow. And, and then we had to put structure mm. to momentum and all that. But that first meeting was so intriguing because I realized we, I just heard the stories of seven people, majority of who don't trust Jesus, but are willing to have conversations about him. And uh, and that was, that was, for me, it kind of shifted from, yes, I want to be knowledgeable. I believe in apologetics. I want to have those tools, but I don't want to use it like, this is what I learned after the first meeting. I don't want to use it like Rambo blowing people away, right? <laughs> right, right. I, I, I want it to be like a machete clearing a path. And uh, going, hey, follow me. This seems to be the best path forward. That first meeting helped change my mind from Rambo to, uh, I don't know, the guy from Uncharted, that movie that just came out. So that, that was really helpful for me. 
So how did you get people to this first meeting? Did you just call people, put stuff on social media? How did people, how did you get those first seven or eight people that were there? Well, I was, I didn't really want to advertise it on Facebook because you never know, you know, Christians will sometimes mm. be like, yes, we're going to this thing. And then you get like 30 Christians <laughs> and five non-believers. Um, so what we did, yeah, what we did was we just said, why don't you invite your friend group? I'll invite my friend group. That was mm. meeting one. And mm. then they invited their friends and then we started having posters, right? So um, we, I think the next meeting was about evil, right? God permitting or allowing evil. And so then we made posters and we started doing that. And then we would just put those around in the coffee shop. Well, if you had seven the first time, that means you brought three friends. Next time you do it, let me know and you at least have four. So sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. So the structure again, um, <laughs> I knew you could take it too. Uh, walk yes, through yes. the structure of these meetings. It sounds like the first 15 minutes, two people talk together on a predetermined topic that everybody voted on and everybody else listens in. Is that the first segment of the meeting? Yep. So from when people walk in, Sean, people will come in and we just say, okay, get whatever you want to drink. It's on the Doubters Club. Okay. So when we launch a meeting, we do tether them to a local church, local faith community that sponsors them, but that doesn't need to be known. They don't need anything to be branded. They're paying for the beverages, okay, or the pastries or whatever. So they come in and uh, we say, hey, get whatever you want, find a seat. And then we say, let's get started. And we go, um, we're going to go over a few rules. We have them on a chalkboard, okay, just to keep it kind of minimal. And, and then we just go back and forth on the rules. One by one, we're laughing together. We're having fun. You know, maybe we're pointing out one of the rules is we don't interrupt. And then, and then he'll be like, all right, Preston, just remember that rule. You know, we're just, <laughs> we're just playful. We're trying, sure. again, we got to model yeah. friendship. And then after that, we say, okay, what you voted on last time was, is God a moral monster, right? Which was actually one that was voted on. Um, or Black Lives Matter movement, right? Whatever it would be, that's what you voted on last time. And then I'll turn to my friend and as the Christian co-moderator, I'll say, would you introduce yourself and would you just talk a little bit about that? And then let's just model this for 15 minutes and then open it up for conversation. Okay. And then we go back and forth and it's, um, we're asking serious questions. Um, and, and we are, there are challenges happening, but it's in, it's in um, the boundaries of friendship. And then we say to the group, uh, what do you think on this issue? How have you developed your thoughts around this issue? And then, um, I always ask permission. Hey, can I ask you a question mm -hmm. about that? And a lot of times, uh, Christianity is on the hot seat. You know, people wow. will just be like, "Well, I, I I disagree with you, Preston," and I'll say, um, "Hey, I've disagreed with myself too. What do you disagree with me on?" You know, those sort of things. <laughs> and then at the end, we say, "What would you like to talk about next time?" We write it down. We allow them okay. to vote. I even tell them this. I say, "You can vote twice." Okay, and if you're doubling down and you raise your hands like this, and you're an atheist in the room, I know you're not praising God. You're just voting twice, and then uh, and then we just move on. We don't open with prayer. We don't close with prayer. Um, it is for this is for the people that are not going to go. They're not going to walk into mm -hmm. a church building. Now you mentioned like is God a more monster problem of yeah. evil 
course, Black Lives Matter could be the phrase that people use, or it could be the the movement in the sense Correct. of the organization that's a little bit more political. Do you talk about political issues or intentionally leave those off the table? Uh, so we've, for the sake of the Doubters Club, we and we even tell people this in the training, they're not allowed to filter issues. So mm. all, anything that's voted on is fair game, okay? If majority wow. rules, if the majority of the people in the club say that day, so if they're, you know, there's 15 people and 10 of them are voting on that topic. That's the topic you got to wrestle with. So um, you better believe 2020, once we were safe oh, enough to boy. meet after COVID, oh, it was hot. <laughs> it was hard. Yeah, I can only imagine. Now, for me, I try to host on my YouTube channel a lot of conversations with people who are atheists and who have very different worldviews. And one thing I found is that the success of a conversation, a lot of it is determined based on who I invite before they even show up. Yes. There's some guests I have, I'm like, it's just not going to work to have a conversation with this person. Maybe they're a little bit more combative. They want to debate for whatever reason. Is that true yeah. with these conversations? And what do you do when somebody becomes a little bit more combative than you're hoping to experience in these clubs? Well, we try to tell the pioneers, that's what we call them, the co-moderators, which we do have both atheists and Christians who go through our training, which is really, you know, really interesting that atheists are saying, I want Christian friends <laughs> that will mm. help me journey together. So mm. when it comes to those two people, we say, we say, and then I'll say when it comes to people in the club, when it comes to the co-moderators, try to meet like a day before or, or that day, maybe for breakfast or lunch meet together and talk with each other, right? I know life's busy, but try to do that. I remember they we were gonna be talking on the topic of hell one time, and wow. my the atheist co-moderator, my friend, I'm sitting with my wife, he's with his girlfriend, we're having sushi together, about to go to the club, and he said, let me ask you, do you think I'm going to hell? And I got pretty emotional, uh, not angry, sad, right? And mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I would ask you not to ask that in front of the group because I care about you too much to just give an answer. Um, but I will mm -hmm. talk to you about that here. So I talked about there, but it allows you to, to again, be friends. So that's the advice mm -hmm. we tell the co-moderators. Have this discussion before to some degree. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to the people in the group, we, we, we have the rules for a reason. It's not just an icebreaker. We'll, we'll tell them, hey, you're breaking rule number four, you know? Mm. And so to date, I've only had to kick out two people. Both were Christians, um, <laughs> which is unfortunate. When I say kick out, you ask to leave, right? Like, hey, sure. you just, this, and, and you just, this doesn't seem to be the best environment for what mm. you're looking for. Um, and I don't know about the other clubs. Um, I haven't asked them, but I can ask them next time I see them and let you know. <laughs> yeah, I, but the rules really, are so helpful. Yeah. I'd be really interested here. So it sounds like just you're setting the example for the first 15 minutes so people see yes. what's expected. Lay out the rules every single meeting. Is that right? Like you walk through all five every rules meeting. every single meeting? Okay. Every and then meeting, once yes. you frame it that way, the vast majority of people kind of fall in line and engage in these conversations well. Is that really essentially the, the way it tends to work? Yes. Yeah. And okay. again, if you're modeling it well, 
people will mm. follow where you're leading them. So that's crucial. That's perfect. When we get back, let's start walking through some of these rules and the particulars of how you facilitate these conversations with non-believers. And you talk about as thorny issues, racial relations, problem of evil, contradictions in the Bible, and do it well. Sean McDowell filling in for the great Frank Turek on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist radio and podcast here with Preston Ulmer, author of The Doubters Club. When we get back, we're going to walk through some particulars for you. All right, friends, welcome to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist Radio and Podcast. Sean McDowell filling in for the one and only Dr. Frank Turek. And my guest today is Preston Ulmer, who's written a fascinating book I want all of you to pick up called The Doubters Club. We've been talking about these very practical clubs that he's put together based on friendships between a Christian and an atheist or a Christian and a non-believer to just talk about some of the toughest issues of the day in relationship. So Preston, I'm curious, you, this is, tell me, is this discipleship? Is this evangelism? Or is this something else? How does this fit in with a broader church ministry? Yeah. Yeah. How does this fit in with the mission, right? I, I, uh, I write about this in the book, but I think, and I, I make the case for it. I think that discipleship starts pre-conversion. Okay. So this would be part of hmm. discipleship. In fact, you know, one of the ways that I talk about it is, and uh, is whenever, when were the disciples Christians? When did they have the spirit of God within them? Okay. Believing in the resurrected Christ. Well, that would be after the resurrection. So the question then is, what was Jesus doing for those first three years? And I would say discipleship. And, and I know there's a lot of nuances within that argument, but what I'm saying is I think discipleship starts pre-conversion. Mm. And it, if there's someone who is moving towards God at a different pace or even towards the knowledge of God at a different pace, then that in and of itself is intentional discipleship. Evangelism is within that spectrum. Okay. But I don't think that, <clears throat> I don't think that it's, evangelize and then you start the discipleship journey i think the discipleship journey encompasses Mm. the negative side of the scale all the way through the positive side of the scale if zero is salvation in jesus then that would be the evangelism piece so this is pre-conversion discipleship now i imagine some people listening are saying great maybe some non-believers will be exposed to loving thoughtful christians and uh, reconsider or consider the christian faith but I also matter, there's some Christians who yeah. will meet some very thoughtful, gracious, compelling atheists and maybe plant seeds of doubt. And we have mm. this movement of deconstruction right now. Does yeah. that concern you? And how do you respond to it? Well, the reality is if those Christians are only engaging with non-Christians at the Doubters Club, then they're really living in a bubble, aren't they? Mm. They're they're not. If these questions are only coming up in a doubters club setting, those Christians probably, to be honest with you, Sean, are um, what I would say certainty-seeking Christians. They're certain about what they believe. They've drawn a line in the sand, and they're there to convert people. Now, I don't say that in a demeaning way. I just want to be descriptive. 
Okay. Sure. So they're, they're there for that reason. I'm not actually concerned about them. <laughs> I, I would actually, I would be concerned. <laughs> I would be concerned about, do they know their neighbor's name? But right, as far right. as their commitment to faith, uh, not so much. Then you have the other type of people where like launching doubters clubs in high schools. Okay. Which we've done. So you have high schoolers that whenever I was training our first person to launch it in high school, New Orleans, um, I said to her parents who are pastors, I said, you know, I, I actually, this is our first time doing this. I'm a little nervous <laughs> that I don't want her to get um, sidetracked yeah. from her faith. And this is what she told me, not her parents, her. She said, Preston, um, I'm already having these conversations. Wow. I'm just asking you to give me the tools to help other wow. people have them well. And, and that was an eye opener. So on one hand, you have the certainty seeking Christian that you're like, you know what they need to work on? They're loving people and having these conversations more regularly. Mm -hmm. This will help them. On the other hand, you have people that they're having them all the time. What they want is to have them in a structured way where the gospel is presented as a Jesus looking gospel. And, um, and so I'm not really concerned because out of those two camps, I feel like that it's going to be a win for the Christian. You know, it shows a lot of confidence in truth and the truth of Christianity to be able to have these conversations. And it's the Christians who should be leading them. I was leading about a month ago a conversation in my church on how to have spiritual conversations. And I told a dentist in my church about this. He goes, whoa, I'm going to contact Preston. I want to do this. Oh, this is cool. These are practical tools that people in the church can take to start engaging their non-believing friends. Now, in the book, again, your book is called The Doubters Club. I think it's so good, Preston, and just want to give a plug for it every chance I got because I want to see people start these clubs and engage their neighbors. You walk through five ground rules. Now, obviously, we don't have time yeah. to give the depth that you do in your book, but maybe just kind of mention what they are and just explain them briefly. Sure. So the first one is we value respect above being right. So this is going to be, you know, basically... We do think that there is truth, but respect is the name of the game in the Doubters Club, okay? Mm. So that's rule number one. We listen without interrupting, which mm. this is why we we encourage people, don't start Doubters Clubs uh, on Facebook groups and those sort of things. It needs to be in person. <laughs> you got to be able to see someone and how they're interacting. We listen without interrupting. We listen with an open mind. Now, I will say this. We're not saying we, we have such an open mind that our brains fall out. Okay, that's sure. not what we're saying. We're saying we listen with a possibility that we may be wrong. I mean, if I expect that of my non-Christian friends to have that posture, I have to have the same posture. And cognitive mirroring would say I should probably leave the way on that. So uh, that would be we listen with open mind. We understand and accept differences of opinions. Notice we didn't say differences of truth because we're after truth. That's what we're going for but differences of opinions. We can understand and accept that, right? And that's where people's story comes into play. And then the last one, Sean, is this is a safe place. Mm. That if at any point, you know, if someone feels unsafe, uh, we really, we need to bring correction to that. So that's where in the training, I try to tell people, you, you should hold ground for the skeptic and the doubter as much as possible as much so tell, as possible. Tell me what you mean by safe. Cause I think safe oftentimes means my ideas won't be challenged. I won't be pressed uh, to rethink things. That's mm -hmm. often what safe means in the college campus. I suspect you mean something different by it. 
Yeah, safe means that you as a person won't be attacked. You won't be insulted because of your story. And you're not going to be pressured to speak up if you want to listen. Mm-hmm. So safe is going to be you can sit there, have coffee. You can speak up. But the minute that you start challenging the integrity of another person, mm-hmm. not just their idea, it becomes an unsafe place. Um, so that's what, that, I, that's what we mean by safe. Good, good clarification. Because I know ideas matter. We want to challenge ideas, but do it in yeah. a way not to win an argument or to shame somebody, but to right. mutually arrive at truth, I think is great. Uh, that's such a wonderful way. Now, I imagine having all these conversations leave, leading this movement that you've probably learned a few things about atheists and how atheists view Christians. Had your own yeah. mind changed on some things? Maybe give, maybe give us an example or two that, that come to mind. Yeah, well, I've learned that atheists see that it's hard for Christians to gather without the motive of converting. Okay, so it's mm. hard to even have an atheist open, <laughs> over for a Thanksgiving dinner without this would be what the perspective is right sure that they would say even going over to dinner is going to be like so so how are you doing with the lord you know is those sort of things Mm. and i've learned that and i've realized we have to be able to be in the same space and even create gatherings where we're not always trying to convert people (laughs) we gotta be able to do that um so when jesus is a friend of sinners he's not just friendly to them he's a friend of them he, he was gathering with them so much. He was associated with them, you know, the glutton and the drunkard. And so I, I realized that pretty early on. That was something mm-hmm. that was interesting to me. I also realized Christians don't listen well from the side of the atheists. The mm-hmm. amount of times, Sean, that someone has said, no Christian has listened to my story is like, mind-blowing. And I know, you know, this YouTube channel and uh, and what you do, I know it's like, how are we not listening? But if we want to gain trust, right, this is in a book called uh, Conversational Intelligence. If we want to gain trust from resistor to co-creating answers in someone's brain, we have to listen. It's actually the highway of trust. Mm-hmm. And when someone says nobody's listened, you're like, oh, and, and then here's the other thing. I've learned that, uh, you know, in in the church world, we're sitting here going, pray for the prodigal to come home. And I do, right? I do. But there's a lot of times where the prodigal is going, how would I even come home if I wanted to? Like, how? what does that step look like without Mm. experiencing shame and condemnation? Mm. What does that step look like without without having to become the type of evangelical Christian that my parents are? Mm. So those are things that I've learned that have been pretty eye-opening. Bible has a lot to say about listening, and uh, we as Christians don't do it well. I have a lot of conversations like this on air and off air and hear the same things like, this is the first time a Christian has just listened, and that shouldn't be the case. Now, who can start these clubs, and how would they do it? Yeah, well, anyone can start them uh, with this caveat, okay? (laughs) That you Let's go back to when you asked the discipleship question. If, if we're thinking of a number line, a, a number scale, and, and zero is salvation and positive 10 is fully surrendered life, you have to be okay with your goal being uh, on the negative side of the scale. If, you, if all you see is spiritual curiosity, if all you see is someone reconsidering, you just got to be okay with it. We, we don't baptize people in the Doubters Club. Now, we've had people from the Doubters Club get baptized and follow sure, Jesus, of course. Sure. 
So that's the caveat. Anyone can start gotcha. it if they have this mentality. I want to. I I want to grow by engaging with people not like me. If they want to start so, one, they can. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say quickly. Tell us where they can start them and and also follow yeah. you. Yeah, they can go to thedoubtersclub.com. They can just uh, click on more info, get started, and it goes straight to us. It's a link that they just fill out their information, goes straight to our team, and we'll engage with them. And if they want to email, they can email me at Preston at the doubtersclub.com. Preston at the doubtersclub.com. Go to doubtersclub.com, and while you're at it, pick up a copy of the book, The Doubters Club, if you want to learn how to put your apologetics training into practice, which I know Frank and his team deeply cares about. Preston, thanks so much for coming on. This is Sean McDowell filling in for Frank Turk on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist radio and podcast. God bless.